never miss the latest game tea. Check us out on social media. You can find us on Facebook at the Game Tea Podcast, and you can find us on Twitter at Game Tea Podcast X. We post memes, gaming news, retweet friends of the pod, and of course, let you know when new episodes are available for your sip and pleasure. Links are all available in the description of this episode, so check them out after the show. And thank you so much for listening to the Game Tea Podcast. Everybody and welcome to another episode of the Game Tea Podcast. My name is JP. Uh, I'm Peaches. And I'm Zach. All right, we've got some fun stuff to do today. We are not exactly going over the entire Game Awards, but we're going to get started with a little bit of that, and we've got some more in the itinerary. It's going to be a weird but very exciting day. Before we get started, though, Zachary, how have you been enjoying Pokemon? JP, I think I've matured past this. I don't play games anymore. I just buy them when they're on sale. So like an adult. <laughs> I, um, I got I, I got to the first gym and uh, I picked up Shimagami Tensei again. What about you? Are you fucking kidding? You haven't you haven't gotten past the first gym? We were supposed to do this uh, together, the, just like in 2006. the guy who bitched out on Pokemon Let's Go Eevee. Ain't that the truth? Anyway, how's your adventure going? Who'd you pick? All right, so here's a really funny story story about that, actually. So in my first classroom, I teach uh, public speaking at uh, a local university, right? So all the kids walked in one day, and I went on this rant about Pokemon being released because a lot of the kids in the class are gamers, right? And even if you're not, everybody knows about Pokemon. So I pulled up a picture of all three starters, you know, Turtwig, Piplup, and uh, Chimchar on the screen. And then on the whiteboard, I did a vote when I called attendance of who they, who they thought my starter should be. A huge fight between Piplup and Turtwig broke out, but ultimately Pip- Piplup won. And then it was just fucking anarchy in my classroom for literally eight minutes while people were just screaming at each other. And I was like, chaos, chaos, JP. So I picked uh, I picked Piplup. <laughs> what happened to reject modernity return to monkey? Listen, buddy, nobody wants to return to monkey more than <laughs> I do, but it's, I have to respect democracy. It was the vote. And besides, Empoleon is my favorite Pokemon of all time. I can't do my boy dirty like that. You absolutely can. Uh, what? Do you want me to just disregard the boat? Yes. Peaches? I don't know those kids. You sicken me. <laughs> you you used to stand for something. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Zach, come on, man. Uh, okay. Fine, fine, fine. Look, I get it. Nobody I know has a bigger backlog than Zach, but I'm at the fourth gym. I've been having a really good time. I bought Resident Evil Village. What? Oh my I god. Resident Evil Village. Yeah, no, I we heard, but it's more this. of a what like, but why? Well, see, it was on sale for like nine bucks. Couldn't pass that one up. <laughs> I'll eventually play it, probably. <laughs> Is that still on sale? I gotta get in on that. I think it was on Best Buy. I can't remember how much it was. That's a damn good deal. All right. Anyway, Peaches, do you want to go over itinerary for what we're doing today? Yeah. Today on the podcast, we are talking about a Valve lawsuit that was dismissed by the judge. We got everybody slam dunking on Activision. And then we got... As they should. Yeah, absolutely. And then we got the (laughs) 2020 Game Award nominees. And then we got some game releases. And I might squeeze in some talk about uh, Halo Infinite somewhere in there. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about Halo Infinite. 
we are going to be uh, skipping over our hot takes for today just because the Game Awards might take us a little bit of extra time and we want to give it what it deserves. So with all that out of the way, who wants to start off by reading this article about Valve? Peaches does. Uh, I'll grab it. Uh, I'll snag that. Yeah, uh, Peaches, take it. Take He's the our wheel. Valve guy. Peaches, take the wheel. <laughs> Crying down the street. Peaches, take, take the, the wheel. wheel. <laughs> Zar can jazz that up a bit, right? Yeah, because we don't work that poor man hard That's enough. That's what I was just about to say. Like, that guy, <laughs> what a lazy bastard. I mean, what? He spends 20 hours a day trying to edit this podcast. Lazy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So our first article coming from PC Gamer and Andy Chalk. Uh, Judge dismisses antitrust lawsuit filed against Valve. In April, Overgrowth developer Wolffire Games filed an antitrust lawsuit against Valve alleging that Steam's dominance in the PC gaming market enables it to extract an extraordinarily high cut of the sales made through its storefront. Valve responded in July, saying Wolffire's complaint failed to meet the most basic requirements of an antitrust case and asked the judge to dismiss it as a result. In a ruling filed today, the judge in the case agreed with Valve. The ruling, available in full on Court Listener, says Wolffire's lawsuit falls short on two separate points. First, the claim that Valve is illegally tying the Steam store to the platform, essentially using the near monopoly of Steam as a library, launcher, and social media platform to force people to buy games through the Steam storefront is rejected because the allegations in the lawsuit suggest that the Steam platform and storefront are in fact a single product within the the integrated game platform and transaction market. Wolffire's lawsuit also claims that Valve uses its near monopoly to charge an excessive fee to sellers, 30%, that wouldn't be sustainable in a competitive marketplace. That claim resulted in some interesting conversations earlier this year, but the judge rejected the argument, noting that Valve's take has remained unchanged throughout Steam's history, even as other online stores charging lower percentages have come and gone. That is fascinating. So give us the TLDR of what's going on here, Peaches. All right. So Wolffire Games, they're, I, I don't think that their complaints are, their complaints aren't incorrect. You know, 30% is a huge cut, of, especially of a small developer's like profit margin when like, you know, they're already working on razor thin margins as is. Yeah. So the Valve taking 30% of like the list price of the game on each sale. Like that's, that's a hefty price. And there is definitely an argument to be made that Steam controls most of the market share in the PC's, like, game-selling, like, storefront. However, the way they set up this lawsuit, they were already going to fail because you're you're not going to win an antitrust lawsuit, especially when 30% is probably what a lot of other storefronts are going to be charging, like we've heard about Apple and Epic charging, like, 20 to 30% on their storefronts as well. So when you say that the market isn't competitive, it technically is, even though it really isn't. And there's some probably some issues of price fixing going on there. But that's not where their lawsuit was. Their lawsuit was that Steam's monopoly and charging the 30 percent is anti-competitive where and it's just you're not going to win that specific case. And honestly, it'd be hard to win any case against a multi-billion corporation like Valve, because when you have infinite money to throw at lawyers to win cases. It's like (laughs) the system is rigged against the little guy. Something that really interests me is the fact that they talk about the near monopoly that Steam has when it comes to the PC gaming market, which is true to a degree. Like, obviously, Steam was like the seller of PC games for the longest time. But 
the longer we go on with this, the more we're actually starting to see some other, you know, stores open up who are willing to sell PC games. For example, the Epic Game Store, which has become extremely popular because of how generous it is with some of the free games that it gives out. So I guess one of my first questions for you is, do you still believe that Steam has that monopoly on the PC gaming market? Yes. Yeah, I, I would say so. I think um, Epic Game Store... I don't want to say it's gaining some market share because people that are using the Epic Game Store, I feel like most of those people get their free game. And then if they're going to actually buy a game, they just go back to Steam. That's exactly what I do. Word for word. <laughs> <laughs> Literally exactly what I do. Yeah, it had like the Epic Game Store has 160 million users, but it's Fortnite. And then it's the free games people that get their free game and then they go buy shit from Steam. And Rocket League. Oh, wait, maybe not Rocket League. No, actually, I, I... I mean, if you didn't buy Rocket League when it was on Steam, you have to go through the Epic Game Store. But if you bought Rocket League before it was on Epic Game Store, you still go through Steam. Interesting. So, yeah, there's technically competition with quotes around it, but the competition is nowhere near what Valve is at. Like Epic Game Store, Origin, Ubisoft, Rockstar. These, these guys aren't competing with Steam so much as existing. So then the next question is about the 30% that Steam takes of the sales. Now, we have spent so much of our time discussing the Apple Epic lawsuit that was going on, right? And how 30% is usually the standard that a lot of these different gaming companies are using as a cut when they sell the games, right? I mean, I guess this could be a part of the bigger overall conversation of, is that fair? 30, you know, taking 30%. Is it fair? I honestly no. don't know the answer. I, I don't think that's fair to the developers, but... So what would be fair, I guess, would be my question. You know, Epic Game Store currently is doing a revenue split of uh, 88-12. Wow, that's very generous. Yeah, um, which I think... Relatively speaking. Well, honestly, yeah, I think that's a more fair, because like all they're really doing is they're allowing a game to be listed on their market on their marketplace, right? Like they're giving it, Which like, is essentially I, guess, true. I guess they give it some publicity, but the publicity they give it is free. And I mean, yes and no. I mean, it's probably costing them money that, you know, bigger companies could use and probably pay them more for that advertising. Um, there's also like, you have to make sure it's safe for people to buy it. Um, their credit card information to get out. Like it won't be the developer's fault per se. It would be more so on Steam. Um, they've just set up the ecosystem towards totally in their favor. And I mean, that's kind of their product is their store. So like, I honestly think there is a fair thing too. I think right now it sucks. How do you like base a living off it's, of that? I guess we'd have to get some, we'd have to get some concrete numbers exactly. before we can give out like, Hey, like, you know, a developer should be making at least blah, blah, blah. Since the publisher is making this blah, blah, blah off of it. Blah, blah, blah. I agree with Zach completely. Like the stores are doing a little bit more than just hosting the game on their platform to be downloaded. They are supervising the process, right? And it's like Zach says, there's encryption that goes along with that of making sure people can safely spend the money, buy the game, and then get the game materials, download the game, and then be able to play it, right? And oftentimes if there's a problem with any of that, the game store that you bought the game from is who provides the customer service to get it fixed again, right? So it's not like they're doing less than anything, but I'm not coming at this question from like an I know the answer. I genuinely don't know what is a fair price to be asking to provide these services, right? 
but in my opinion, anything over 20% is way too much. Because at the end of the day, you, you're you not the one who made the game, right? You're you're just the middleman. Well, yeah, and like, don't get me wrong, like know. the services that like Steam provides to like the customer support end of it, like obviously, yeah, that's not nothing, but is that a 30% take, like, is it that much? No, I, I doubt it. I think I think uh, no, thirty percent. I no. think fifteen percent is about what a fair margin would be. I'd be a little more lenient with twenty, but after that, I agree with you that I think they're taking too much money. Wolffire was setting them up, themselves up to fail with this lawsuit, like you said, Peaches. But at the same time, they are just one of many voices who are coming out in like frustration of this process, right? And I'm going to be honest, I don't know shit about Wolf Fire games. And that means that whatever they do end up making over, what did it say their last game was? Some game called Overgrown? Overgrowth. Overgrowth. Like, they need that revenue. They need that to stay up. Right now, they're working on another project called Receiver 2 after the first receiver came out in 2012. They need that. They need that to pay their devs, you know? It's a small indie company. I see where they're coming from. I just don't think they were the ones who needed to make this lawsuit happen. And that's really it. Does anybody else have anything they want to add before we move yeah, on? Yeah, I haven't given Zach a lot of, of time to talk. Zach, did you have any closing to- uh, thoughts on this? No, I said my piece. I think it's all a matter of we need to make pay more apparent in how this works out. Um, I, I guess I just don't know. I like transparency, but some people don't like that. Privacy is cool and all, but it also leads to poor working conditions. You know who hates transparency? The companies who have to be transparent. Yeah, big companies don't want transparency. Everybody else wants it. Hmm, interesting. I wonder why that works. Oh, well. Article two. Can I do this one? Because I have This is all you, baby. Saving this. All right. Blizzard. Activision. Fuck (laughs) them bitches. Specifically, fuck the top. Goddamn right. Of those bitches. Because the bottom, the bottom is getting sick of taking it. All right. So our first, um, that was, you did that, that was on the summary. All right. Here's polygon.com. This is by Owen Good. Activision leadership is now under fire from both Xbox and PlayStation. For those of you that don't know, Bobby Kotick is uh, a CEO and part of Activision and by President Blizzard. And it's been reported earlier that from like their lawsuit that we talked about that Bobby Kotick was very aware of sexual misconduct and in fact did very little. Should we do a trigger warning? I feel like we should do a trigger warning. I'm a little late on it, but and we'll have Zar throw it in. Zar, do a bunch of flashes and whatnot. And it's basically as bad as it sounds. This guy was very much aware, um, very much dropped the fucking ball, very much is a piece of shit. Yeah, they uh, have a very big problem at the top. And so I, Thursday, hold on, JPL, uh, I got you. Don't worry. This, this no, I'm be sorry. Loaded. I'm sorry. Bloomberg earlier reported that Jim Ryan, which is Sony's CEO, for PlayStation sent a note to employees basically saying um, Activision Blizzard simply has not done enough to address a deep seated culture of discrimination and harassment. And then on Thursday, Xbox boss Phil Spencer also messaged his employees about uh, the Wall Street Journal's report on November 16th saying he and other management team members are disturbed and deeply troubled by the horrific events and actions at Activision Blizzard. Here's to hoping Nintendo will join that. Um, people who are joining this are emails uh, asking people to just boycott. Uh, a lot of people are trying to walk out. 
There's a public petition signed by those who don't work for the company with more than 13,000 signatures, along with enclosed um, internal emails with as many as a thousand um, Blizzard workers signing it and staging walkouts. So I don't remember what to start back in March, April. Oh, honestly, this has all been really recent when everything with uh, Blizzard Activision came out. I think it was uh, it was sooner than March. Yeah. So anyway, we, we told you guys this was going away. And um, this is very much like I feel like those were just really good words by an executive. But this is deep seated through that company and it needs a lot more than just a shake up on the World of Warcraft team, a shake up on the Diablo team. It is a huge issue in the industry and it's a huge issue um, at Activision and they are clearly fucking around and hoping someone dares them to fix their shit, which thankfully Blizzard and Blizzard Xbox and PlayStation are kind of like, hey, we're going to start that. This is kind of dumb shit right here, boys. All right. I want to take first crack. Peaches. Okay, go for it, Peaches. So I've said it before. There needs to be like a widespread unionization effort on behalf of like game developers the exploitation that they have to go through it's not going to be fixed on a boycotting level because on a boycotting level like if all these consumers agree not to buy a product that's going to hurt the developers because those higher up executives got their golden parachute they're going to be just fine floating on that um there needs to be widespread unionization efforts to get better labor restrictions to get better pay to get better hours to get better benefits for all these developers. So that's number one. And number two, I want to say that I think it is important that companies like Xbox and Sony are the ones that come out and criticize them because let's be real, there hasn't been a successful mass boycotting um, in a very long time. If we're being honest with each other, like remember when people tried to boycott Chick-fil-A, I, I want to say their profits went way up. So boycotting has not and probably will not be able to work in this modern era um so that's why you need like big companies to come out if, if you're not gonna have unionization you need to have big companies like sony and xbox like the massive partners of activision blizzard come out and be like this is unacceptable and we're going to reevaluate our relationship with this company because that's going to hurt them in their pocketbook way more than what a boycott would i mean peaches took the words right out of my mouth Um, I wasn't going to go as much with the unionization route, although I absolutely agree that that's something that should happen. Obviously, discrimination and sexual misconduct issues and just like the bad treatment of devs in general is an issue that is perpetually happening within the gaming industry. But Activision Blizzard has, I don't even know what to call what they're doing. They have gone way above that, right? Like they've They've blown the doors open. They are going way past the levels that we thought this was going, right? At the very least, we thought that even like some of the higher ups were being held to some kind of accountability by those within Activision Blizzard. But then when you find out that Bobby Kotek, literally the CEO, the man at the top, has been condoning this behavior and covering it up is huge. It's it's wild. I'm sick of talking about it. It's it's just disgusting. Like it really is. It is. I mean, it's not surprising. People literally died because of this. It's not surprising that this ultra wealthy piece of shit is condoning injustices towards women in the workplace. But it's disappointing how little is being done. Yes, absolutely. And I just looked it up. 
Blizzard's earnings in the third quarter of or in the third quarter of this year were like 1.9 billion, and their fourth quarter earnings right now are like 2. Point something billion. All right, their revenue is going up still. They're not going to change anything until something actually hits them monetarily. Yeah, I hate to say it, but you're absolutely right. The other thing I will say though is I think a boycott would do a little bit more than you're giving it credit for, Peaches, because. The thing about your Chick-fil-A example is it became this political issue between like, you know, the left versus the right, where the left is like, hey, we're boycotting Chick-fil-A and the right's like, well, fuck that. We hate the Democrats, so we're going to go get more Chick-fil-A. But in this situation, Blizzard Activision has nobody that's backing him up in this situation, right? So I think that there is value in gamers and the game devs coming together to like continue some sort of phenomenon along the lines of a boycott well, on top of obviously xbox and playstation coming out with jim ryan and phil spencer just criticizing and condemning the gross behavior of bobby kotek my point more with the lack of like uh, boycott not being successful doesn't just stem from the chick-fil-a thing it stems from the developers being the ones that will get hit by a boycott if it even is successful because again, the, exec- the right. executives they have their golden parachute, they're going to be just fine. But the developers are going to be the ones that start getting fired when revenue goes down. You're absolutely right. Fuck you, Blizzard. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of winning at the moment. Not with these guys. If there's any positives that can come out of such a terrible situation like this, I think it's some of the things that we've discussed today in the previous episodes where we've talked about this, right? One, everything Peach has said about unionization is fantastic, and I'm hoping that this will be the final straw. This'll be the catalyst for the push that makes that happen, right? Because there's never been some kind of huge, like, incident that's come out like this before, where the big cats with Jim Ryan and Phil Spencer have, like, come out at the same time and said, this is not okay, and this is grotesque behavior. I'm hoping a lot of good can come out of this. Here's to hoping. And you know what else is hopeful? The 2021 Game Awards. I'm really hopeful for that. What a segue! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there there was no good way to segue into that. <laughs> I'll just take it off a cliff and we'll get to the next thing. All right. So the last thing to do today is to talk about the Game Awards. Now, for our loyal Game Tea listeners, you might remember that last year we went award by award and talked about literally every category to decide who was deserving of those awards. And we sucked at it. We did not suck at it. It was just a lot. Because look, let's all be blatantly honest with ourselves for a second. When we go to vote on the game awards, we're there to vote for like five to six categories tops, right? None of us are there to vote for the best esports player or the best, I don't know, journalist in video games. Huh? We're there to vote for game of the year, best action game of the year, etc., etc., right? So here's what we were doing. Zach, Pizzas, and I are going to sit down and we are going to be doing the top 10 categories of the Game Awards. We're going to be discussing them. The top 10 categories are usually the most fun to discuss, and they're usually the ones that people care about the most. So... Here's what we're going to be doing. We are going to be starting from the top of the list. Obviously, we're going to save game of the year for last, but we are just going to go right down the categories and have ourselves a good old conversation. Who's ready to have some fun? We're not going to have fun starting off here because 
Do you want to start off with best role playing game and like let's just get all the conversation hashed out right away? If you guys want to start with best RPG, I think this will probably be one of the tougher ones because I'm sure more than anything, Zach has a lot to say. Amen, brother. <laughs> Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go ahead and read off the nominees for best role playing game. So best role playing game for the best game designed with rich player character customization and progression, including uh, massively multiplayer experiences. So that just means MMORPGs can be included in this. The nominees are Cyberpunk 2077 from CD Projekt Red, Monster Hunter Rise from Capcom, Scarlet Nexus from Bandai Namco, Shin Megami Tensei 5 from Atlas slash Sega, and Tales of Arise, also from Bandai Namco. Now, without further ado, Zach has a lot of thoughts, and I'd like to let him get into it. Cyberpunk, moving on. Ew. <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean, Cyberpunk, moving on, JP? No, I, I'm joking, I'm, I'm joking, I'm joking. All right, let, let's hear what you've got to say. Okay, so what I'm getting teased here is because I don't think under any circumstances should Cyberpunk 2077 be considered for 2021 award that was my my debate here but i was conflicted because yes these developers put in a ton of work honestly they made a really cool product just literally was not ready yet it still is something special like it's really turning into a really cool game and i can see that um so i just hate that it's getting awards now versus when it should have been released later i guess is where where my um tits were jollied if you will i don't know if that's a saying but maybe we'll just take that one out. That's not that a sounds like a good thing. <laughs> um, I'm just looking at these other four games. I don't even know if Monster Hunter Rise is considered a role-playing game. Um, it, no, it, I mean, it, it I mean, technically fits. Does uh, it have I, RPG mechanics? Your gear is the RPG mechanics. And like, I mean, there's like 12 different, 13 different weapons. It, it is definitely classes. more of a action, action adventure. Yeah, but it can technically fit into the role-playing category. And we've talked about this before. This was a weak year for RPGs. It really was. And (sighs) so I think that's why Monster Hunter Rise gets to squeeze in here is because really, what what else was there? I'm sitting there with those two and I'm like, "Eh, Monster Hunter Rise, by the way, amazing game. Probably one of the best action adventure games I've played all year. Um, it's coming to PC if you have a Switch, so hopefully you'll get that. Um, Scarlet Nexus and Tales of Arise, I haven't played, but they both reviewed very well. Um, RPGs are notorious for being a lot, um, and so I've only gotten to Shin Megami Tensei 5, and I can't put it down right now. Like I'll play it for what I thought was five minutes, and by the time I'm like buffing up my demons, it's been an hour or two, and I'm like, fuck. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so my, my vote goes to Shin Megami Tensei 5. It is insanely addicting. I'm only about 20 hours into it, but I'm having a real good time. What do you guys think? As we, as we all know, Shin Megami Tensei was the predecessor to the Persona series. And I am a big fan of Persona 5. I'm not. I've never biting. played any of the other Persona games. But you can't make me. Just come I'll, on. I'll bite for you, Zach, what? in a second. I'm going to let JP finish, though. That's about it. Look, I've heard great things about Monster Hunter Rise from across the board, but the truth is RPGs are not my cup of tea. So if my residential RPG guy, a.k.a. Zach, 
Excuse Feels me? like it should be Shin Megami Tensai. Oh, I'm sorry, Chez. I know that Zack likes RPGs more than you. It's literally JRPGs, RPGs. It's all he plays. I feel like Zack doesn't play a lot of JRPGs. Fight me, Chez. Name a, name a JRPG. I played it. Persona 5. Played it. <laughs> I don't believe you. It's literally downloaded on my... You want me to send you something? I, I want you, to, I want it, you okay. to send me something because I don't believe you. Okay, you have it downloaded, but have you opened it up and played it for more than 10 minutes? Yes, and I played Persona 4 for more than Look, 10 minutes. this isn't the point. The point is, I'm willing to listen to Zach, right? And I know that Shin Megami Tensai... Please say Tensai. Is the Please predecessor. say Tensai. Please say Tensai. Every time. I don't know why it makes my blood curdle. Oh, man, it makes my blood curdle. <laughs> That's it. My vote's for Cyberpunk 2077. <laughs> Why? I because I am petty. Hey, let me get some of those wheat things. <laughs> anyway, Shin Megami Tensai. Chaz, what's your vote for then? All right. It's Cyberpunk. Oh. I hear all the complaints. You chose chaos. <laughs> I hear all the complaints. I hear you saying it was unplayable on, on, a, on console. I hear you saying there was a ton of bugs and glitches. And you're not wrong, but I don't think that's disqualifying. I think that despite all that, the game managed to be, first of all, one of the most engrossing stories I've ever played. Second of all, some of the coolest RPG mechanics I've ever gotten to experience. And third of all, I mean, the graphics were insanely good. The characters were also insanely good. Like Keanu Reeves played an excellent Johnny Silverhand. The character V felt like very personalized and very real and like, and all these other side characters like Judy and um, oh man, his best friend that I can't remember the name of. Like these all all these characters felt like actual people with like real desires and like motivations. And I think that it's hard to beat that. I like even in like I, I loved Persona Five, but I I don't think that like especially like in terms of characterization. I don't think there was a single character in Persona 5 I liked more than any one character in Cyberpunk. Um, And again, like the criticisms that people have, especially on console, are valid. But I played it on PC and I had an incredibly good time. I enjoyed the story a lot. I enjoyed the RPG mechanics. And I think it deserves to be here. And I think it's the best one in this category. I think everything you said is totally true as well. And I, I just think if this thing had another year, it'd be game of the year. That's what I think I'm more frustrated with. You only get one first impression... And the people who decided to rush it fucked it, and they fucked it hard. Um, so yeah, I, I totally can see. I agree your point, with though. Zach Chaz. I'm sorry. It's it's not that I disagree with you at all because I played Cyberpunk too, and I had a fantastic time too. But I can't ignore the fact that the experience I had with this game was not the same experience that everybody else had. Right? We're console players. We played it on console, and that's why we had a good time. But for many other people. Did you just call me a console player, you absolute piece of shit? <laughs> I just deleted my audio file. <laughs> World star. <laughs> anyway, anyway, it, it's not that what you're saying about cyberpunk is wrong. It's just that my experience did not match up with what most other people who played the game had. I can ignore that. And I do. And I can't look past that. On the other hand, Monster Hunter Rise and Shin Megami Tensai, I have heard nothing but absolutely, absolute praise for for the people that played it. Not just for the fact that they were complete full games, but also that they had that rich player customization, the good progression, and the massive multiplayer experiences, right? I mean, Shin Megami Tensai 5 
is the predecessor for a lot of the different RPG elements that we use today. I can't ignore that. So I can't ignore I'm that. I'm glad that you said what you did about Cyberpunk, but I'm sticking with Shen Megami with Zach. As the residential RPG guy, I'm gonna go ahead. I'm gonna go ahead and ignore all that. I, I I'll start listing, baby. But for the sake of time, so this is a democracy. For this, no, it's not. It's not. It's a dictatorship masquerading as a democracy. You are the fact checker. That's why we have two fact checkers. Is is, is Zar gonna play the music right here? Hey, you better. <laughs> Even though I'm not fact checking anything, just go ahead and play it. Here's a fact you can check, Chez. You can lick my butt. I can. That's you're not wrong. That is a fact. I am able to do that. No, I'm. No, it was an invitation. Please come over. I'm so lonely. Best action adventure All the time. I'm so lonely. I'm trying to segue out of this. Please. Yes, please. You know, just a great segue. Speaking of looking in JP's butthole, let's get on to best indie. How is that a good segue? (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay. So next up, we had Zach's category, but now we're going to JP's category, baby. Best indie for outstanding creative and technical achievement in a game mode outside the traditional publisher system. We have 12 minutes, Death's Door, Inscription, Kena Bridge of Spirits, and Loop Hero. I just got to cut in here. It is Kena Bridge of Spirits. It is Kena. Yes. It's like when I found out that Rayquaza was pronounced Rayquaza and not... What? Rayquaza? Wait, I think I I fucked that up. See, that's how fucky it is. Until you hear someone else say it out loud... And he still says Tensai. I'm about to say, fuck you. (laughs) Sensei, not sensei. All right, bro. Come on. All right. So here's the thing with the best indie. It's not enough to just consider like who had the most impactful story, but obviously something that usually sets apart the best indie game is game mechanics, right? I'm going to be completely honest with you. I'm not fully on board with Lupiro or Inscription, right? But... 12 minutes was incredibly unique for gameplay and story, as was Death's Door. But I think Kena Bridge of Spirits, in my opinion, did something a little bit more special than those games. I thought it looked gorgeous. The story, from what I know, is amazing. That would be my vote. I am not an indie guy. So as the residential listener (laughs) to indie guy, that is also what I'm voting for. Chez, I know you got... 12 minutes. I feel like I might be the only person. Didn't you know Chez is indie guy too? Chez is just every guy. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I've been going through all the RPGs that I have played, um, and it's extensive, but it's whatever. I'm, I'm going to let that slide for the sake of time. I feel like you're not going to let that slide, and we're going to be talking about Are we going to have an RPG off? Because I'll have an RPG off. I mean, we. What would that even you know look what? Yeah, like? Let's just uh, uh, cut the episode. It's RPG off. No! It's, it, <laughs> We will save this because this is actually giving me a really great segment idea. Put a pin in this. Remember that. Remember that. Remember that. Kena Bridge of Spirits. I have played Kena and I have watched uh, playthroughs of 12 minutes and I have lightly watched Inscription and Death's Door. Inscription is like a card based, like scary game that kind of gives me uh, vibes of. Oh, my gosh. What's what's the other card? Oh, my God. The roguelite card game. I can't remember. Uh, Slay the Spire? Yeah, Slay the Spire. Um, Told you. <laughs> it, it, it gives me... I, I've played Slay the Spire. It's, it's a good game. But uh, it, Inscription gives me kind of like those vibes, except it's supposed to be, I guess, scarier and like it has some slightly different like combat mechanics. But I think 
Kena, even though it was a shorter game, of the games here, I think it's the it is the best. It was not a perfect game, and like it definitely lacks in some categories. But in in this company, it is the best of these five for sure. All right, sounds like that vote's going to Kena. All right, what about games for impact? Who wants to read off games for impact? JP, you're the only one that has a chance of knowing any of these games. Yeah, that's true. All right. Games for impact for a thought-provoking game with a pro-social meaning or message. We have Before Your Eyes, Boyfriend Dungeon, Chicory, A Colorful Tale, Life is Strange, True Colors, and No Longer Home. You can bet your ass that whenever a Life is Strange game just came out, it's always on the Games for Impact list. Every single time. Every single time. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be completely honest. I feel like Life is Strange, despite the fact that everyone knows I'm a big fan of the series, falls flat on its face sometimes when it tries to have those pro-social messages because of how bad and cringy some of the dialogue is. Sometimes it's really, really, really good. And other times it's really, really bad. (laughs) You know, but I will say that when it does hit, it hits very, very well. Um, And also, I've never played any of these other games. And so by uh, default, boyfriend dungeon for the win. <laughs> <laughs> the boyfriend dungeon. What even is boyfriend dungeon? So it's a it's a boyfriend dungeon simulator. What is that? What does that mean? You know what? Just scratch that. Anyway, so I don't have much else to add on to that. Life is strange can be a little cringy sometimes, but I, I'll also say this. It was definitely at its worst in the very first game. Every game since then has gotten much, much better. Life is Strange True Colors isn't nearly as cringy as the first Life is Strange. Still somewhat cringy, but it does a better job of getting good messages across. My vote for Life is Strange True Colors. So I'm looking at Boyfriend Dungeon right now, and it looks like a like kind of chibi art of uh, like Hades. It, like it plays like Hades and it has like Hades-esque interactions, you know, when you're talking to like NPCs. You know, I'm going to I'm going to go with Boyfriend Dungeon. Oh, I thought it was a meme. Is Zach really voting for Boyfriend Dungeon? Are we ready to talk about best performance? No, because we have to vote. I already voted. Boyfriend Dungeon for the win. Oh, which, ah, oh <laughs> what happened to democracy? I am the Senate. All right. Fine. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I still voted for Life is Strange True Colors. Good. Live your life. In all fairness, because you're just doing it to be a memer. No, I've heard and good things about it. Life is Strange went really under the radar. It really did, but Life is Strange always goes way over the ra- under the radar. <laughs> over the radar. It goes over the radar. <laughs> I tell you, I've never seen a, a game go so over the radar. Next up, we have Best Performance, awarded to an individual for voiceover acting, motion, and or performance capture. We have Erica Mori as Alex Chen from Life is Strange True Colors. Oh, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Giancarlo Esposito. He only said it like 14 million times. As Anton Castillo in Far Cry 6. Jason Kelly as Colt Vaughn in Deathloop. Maggie Robertson as Lady Dimitrescu from Resident Evil Village. And finally, Ozioma Akagi as Juliana Blake from Deathloop. All right, I'm going to stop everything right now, and I'm going to tell you, we all know that this goes... To Maggie Robertson. To Lady Demetrescu. We all already know that. Yeah, like, come on. Absolute icon. I agree. I 100% agree. 
I don't know. See, I was going to give it to Giancarlo Esposito because he was the only reason I That's, even for a fucking second thought to get Far Cry 6. He's definitely up there as well. Like, I'm not considering any of these other people. You want to talk about a game that went under the radar. Let's talk about Deathloop. Nah. They wanted that game to be a hit so badly. GP, it is a hit. It it has incredibly good reviews. Everyone loves Deathloop. Everyone who's played it loves Deathloop. Yes, but a lot of people this have isn't, played it. This goes beyond legacy, though, brother. I mean, why are we choosing Lady Dimitrescu here? She literally took over the internet. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure, like, I, I'm, I'm advocating for Deathloop in the sense that it was a good game. We just, like, nobody here, unfortunately, had a chance to get to it. But Lady Dimitrescu, uh, absolutely iconic performance has taken over the internet by storm vampire mommy memes for months yeah and i mean the story of how she got to be lady dimitrescu is pretty cool like she kind of just like essentially came in off the street and won the role so i mean i gotta give it to her for just like a like a nice little like up-and-comer story too i'm in i voted for her maggie robertson is lady dimitrescu Best audio design, recognizing the best in-game audio and sound design. We have Deathloop, Forza Horizon 5, Peach's favorite game, he told me, Ratchet and Clank, Rift Apart, Resident Evil Village, and Returnal. Now we're actually getting into categories where it's a lot more difficult to choose a winner. Um, I I gotta go get Ratchet and Clank here. Tell me more. Really? I have I have actually I have watched all of these games except for Returnal, and I think Ratchet and Clank is the best one here. See, I have watched Returnal, and not to say it's bad, because it does look extremely intriguing. But audio design. Um, exactly. When it came to audio, I don't think they did anything that was, like, uh, super crazy, like, super unique. Ratchet and Clank, they put a lot of fucking time just into audio design. And if you've ever played that game or just watched, you can tell that they worked hard. Like, just so much unbelievable detail went into that game. I don't have any complaints about Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. It was very good. Very, very good. And I second that opinion. Which is why I'm voting for Forza. You know, I was gonna kind of troll a little bit with Forza there, but then I thought, it sounds just like Forza Horizon 4. Like, their sound design's been on point for a while. Ratchet and Clank, it, it, it was a really good, just... It was really fucking good audio design. Like, I was impressed. I felt like I was in one of those, like, Best Buy, like, little theater rooms. I was just like, oh, okay, I'm vibing. Yeah. I'm vibing right now. All right. Oh, we vibing? I will say Resident Evil always, always, always kills it with audio design, too. So if it weren't going to be Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, it would have been Resident Evil Village. I think I would have. In my if it opinion. wasn't Ratchet and Clank, I actually would have gone with Deathloop. See, this is an area where I've heard I actually have that Deathloop has killed it, too, to be honest with you. Um, but not to the degree that I know Resident Evil Village did or certainly not Ratchet and Clank. So I am going for Ratchet and Clank. And see, this is best sound design. The next one is best score in music. So well, you, don't worry, we'll get to that death loop, guys. That is true. All right. For best score and music, for outstanding music, inclusive of score, original song, and or licensed soundtrack, we have The Artful Escape, Cyberpunk 2077, Deathloop, Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, and Nier Replicant version 1.22474487139. Rowdy. Oh, I committed, homie. All right, um, so, so I would I'm, like oh. to make a motion <laughs> to to this democracy and advocate for Cyberpunk right here. Cyberpunk 2077 does have outstanding score and music. So 
Deathloop had a pretty good soundtrack, right? Like the, the yeah, noir no, Deathloop has a really the Deathloop has a fire soundtrack for sure. And then Marvel's Guardian of the Galaxy was also straight fire. Marvel's Guardian, I'm gonna disqualify Marvels because they didn't write anything new. Well, they did. But like, obviously, what makes Marvel so special, Guardians of the Galaxy, is the inclusion of that classic music that we love. And that's not fair. So I now to be fair, like, I don't know how much of that they actually included in the game, but I don't know. I I don't want to give Guardians of the Galaxy credit for this particular category. And also, I'm going to be honest, I don't know shit about Near Replicant. Yeah, me neither. I, I don't know enough about Near Replicant to say anything on it. Um, but I know Deathloop has a fire soundtrack and I know Cyberpunk has a fire soundtrack so I will vote with wherever the majority is there or we can go full chaos so we'll do one for Deathloop one for Cyberpunk and then JP can do Guardians I'm gonna be honest I'd give it to the Artful Escape if I weren't gonna do it to the others because no matter what indie games always kill it with music Always, always, always. In fact, I'm very surprised that Life is Strange True Colors isn't in this category because the songs that are usually included in Life is Strange games are always fire. I'm voting Cyberpunk. <laughs> okay, fine. Go on the next one. Best art direction. Here we go. For best art direction, we have four outstanding creative and or technical achievement in artistic design and animation. We have The Artful Escape, Deathloop, Kana Bridge of Spirits, Psychonauts 2, Ratchet and Clank, Rift Apart. This is really, really hard. I'm going to tell you right now, there were I, I have watched all of these games and I played Kena. Um, Kena's art actually blew me away in a lot of moments. So I'm going Kena Bridge of Spirits. I'm really tempted to go Psychonauts 2 on this one. That's interesting. That, tell me more. Everyone tell me more. Just tell me more in general. All right. So I'm a big fan of I love like more cartoony art styles over like realism. And everybody knows that about me. Kena is really, really good about mixing that art style that I love, to be honest with you, where it's like going for realism in certain parts. But it's also like clearly like supposed to be like this cartoony art style. But then Psychonauts 2 came along and really, really changed the game up. I think Psychonauts 2 did a phenomenal job of updating the way that the game looks with a fresh coat of paint compared to the last Psychonaut, but still making it feel like you're in the Psychonauts world. Plus, it's colorful. It's beautiful. I like the way the people are designed. They got really creative with that. I like the way the worlds are designed. I think they did a fantastic job with Psychonauts 2. But you know what? There's not a wrong option here. If I wasn't going Kana, I would have to choose Ratchet and Clank again, honestly. See, that's tough, too, because Ratchet and Clank looked beautiful. See, I, I'm torn. Um, uh, to me, Kana, other than it being an indie game, I just didn't think it was like... Zach, just I, real quick, I, I it I, it, it, it's great. Kana. Kana? That's big okay. words from someone who's not a JRPG guy, Chad. Kana versus Spirits. <laughs> I don't know. I thought it looked great, like especially for an indie game, but I just... I don't know. Um, so, I, I, that's why I'm not getting it there. I just didn't play the whole game, so maybe if I did, I'd like it more. But Psychonauts 2, I just thought the way they blended the story with the art style and giving all these super kooky and creative like locales really made it stick out to me. Um, and then Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart being my first PS5 game. Just wow. I feel like I was literally in like the meme, you know, Pixar movies. Like, so I don't, I, I guess for art direction, I'd have to go with God, you know, I, I guess playing to your strengths, like I could give it to either Psychonauts or Ratchet and Clank and think they could win it. Totally fine. 
So I think I'll go for Psychonauts 2 here just because of the differences. But Ratchet and Clank is still fine. I totally agree. I'm going with Psychonauts 2 as well. And I think we can all agree that Czar would pick the Artful Escape here. Yes, of course. Definitely not Psychonauts. Mm-hmm. Nope. Yep, not at all. Czar hates Psychonauts, he told us. Bruh. Twice. Oh, he's going to be so mean to our voices in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) And that brings us to the next category that we're doing. Best narrative for outstanding storytelling and narrative development in a game. We have Deathloop, It Takes Two, Life is Strange True Colors, Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, and again, Psychonauts 2. All right, I got a bitch real quick here. It Takes Two yeah, go was it. not that narratively impressive. That The narrative was not the impressive part of It Takes Two. Interesting. What was the impressive part of It Takes Two? The impressive two? part of It Takes Two was the puzzling and the actual like gameplay of it. The gameplay was so smooth and perfect throughout the entirety of the game. And like it incorporates all these different like game styles. Um so well while still maintaining its like essence as like a cooperative puzzle solving game the narrative of it takes two is it felt very basic to me i would rather put cyberpunk in here for narrative like i how does cyberpunk make it to best rpg but it doesn't make it to best narrative that doesn't track for me but oh well wow rude look it's it takes two is a great game no 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 i've I'm t- I'm just I'm just teasing. It was just a goof. I understand what you're coming from. And to be fair, I, I did not play It Takes Two. But the last thing anyone has ever told me about is how good of a narrative it has. Zach, you played It Takes Two. Yeah, I agree with what you said. I was thinking about that too. The characters felt annoying, but everything else about the game was fire. I don't know. I, I thought this. I just like it's so opinionated, which is the whole point of this. So like, yeah, I thought the characters were opinionated. super objectively. It's just not that interesting of a narrative. But the locales and where they go was fun and how like it felt natural for the two players. But yeah, I'm with you. I I, I can't give it to it takes two here. Deathloop, I can't give it to. Um, Marvel's Garden of the Galaxy, I can't give it to. So that's between Psychonauts 2 and Life is Strange True Colors. And I'd probably go with Psychonauts here, but JP. This is also a really hard decision. Fill me in here. Which one should I pick here? Um... Psychonauts 2 obviously have a nar- has a narrative that is very deep into mental health. And I love the narrative. I already love just like the way that it talks about mental health. But it also did it very elegantly in a way that felt very authentic, in a way that didn't feel forced. Psychonauts 2 has an excellent narrative. Um, Life is Strange True Colors also has a spectacular narrative. It hasn't always been true for the Life is Strange series. Um, I feel like they really picked it up in Life is Strange 2, which is weird because if you talk to Life is Strange fans, no one ever talks about Life is Strange 2. They also they always talk about Life is Strange 1 or Life is Strange Before the Storm. But Life is Strange 2 had one of the hardest, albeit best narratives I've ever seen, where I genuinely had a really hard playing because it was so sad and depressing. But that just says so much about the way Life is Strange can convey story. I didn't feel like Life is Strange True Colors hit the exact same chord as Life is Strange 2, but it still did a damn good job. So you could go either way on this one. Um, I have to give something to Life is Strange True Colors, so I'm voting for them. Um, I guess here's, here's my thing with Deathloop is that the narrative of Deathloop, it is interesting until you get to like the reveal and then you're just like, oh, all right. Well, that's fine, I guess. Oh, I hate games like that. 
that was just for me personally right like we, we've talked about that like it's and not everybody would react the same way i did to the the reveal of it but that's just how i felt about it and so i have a hard time giving it to death loop i i want to pretend that it takes two isn't even in this category honestly i would like to give narrative to cyberpunk 2077 but it's not even on the list so all right psychonauts yeah I, I i guess by <laughs> like by default it goes to psychonauts too like i don't know fair enough all right now up next we have what is always a really interesting category best game direction Awarded for Outstanding Creative Vision and Innovative In-Game Direction and Design. We have Deathloop, It Takes Two, Returnal, Psychonauts 2, Ratchet & Clank Rift Apart. Chez, lead us off on the discussion for this one. Um, I'm going to tell you right away, I lean heavily towards It Takes Two and Ratchet and & Clank Rift Apart. Like I said, the narrative of It Takes Two is not what's great about the game. The game direction and design is it is incredible like it takes you like zach said to like all these different cool locales and like it gives you all these different game mechanics to mess around with in the different locations and it's constantly like building on itself uh with like the mechanics and i i think for all that i would have to go it takes two because again like i've actually experienced it takes two in gameplay i've only watched uh ratchet and clank in terms of that so Interesting. Okay, I'm going to make a hard opinion and try and stick to it. I'm with Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart here because they had to make it. Um, I guess it really wasn't. Uh, right, now I'm now I'm conscious of myself. But Ratchet and Clank, they were like, it's like the PS5 showcase. Like, I mean, like Demon Souls was the showcase, like graphically. Ratchet and Clank put everything else together. Like you had the haptic feedback with how you shoot your guns. You have the sound design with what we talked about earlier. And then you have this beautiful Pixar and art direction. Um, and so I think creatively and innovatively, like they had a lot on their plate and they made it all made it seamless to where we have that meme of it feels like a Pixar movie. Like, I think they did a really good job giving all the things they had for it. And so that's why I want to go for Ratchet and Clank here, even though I really like the other four, at least three other options here. <laughs> Ratchet and Clank is my vote. Interesting. OK, so. Are you voting for It Takes Two then, Peaches? I feel like I have to vote It Takes Two here. It's just, it deserves something for one. And also it's the only game on this list I've actually experienced through gameplay and not just watching like the entirety of it. I watched a YouTuber play It Takes Two and it's kind of like the discussion that we just had in the narratives, right? What blew me away about It Takes Two was not its narrative, which is why it's confusing that it was in that category in the first place. It's the way that it conveyed emotion through the different areas it made you explore and the relationship that's built up between the two characters, despite the fact that, yes, I actually do agree with Zach, sometimes they're fucking annoying. I would have this go to It Takes Two as well, but I do see how you could give it to Ratchet. Yeah, and I think we all know Zar would go... Returnal here, we all said it together. Uh, yeah, not Psychonauts, he hates Psychonauts. He will not stop shitting on Psychonauts too. And that leaves us, of course, with Game of the Year. Recognizing a game that delivers the absolute best experience across all creative and technical fields. This is always very, very hard, but I will admit it's not as hard this year as it has been in previous years. I want to tell you right now, like, it takes two for all that it does right is not the Game of the Year. I agree. Oh. Um, And Deathloop not either. Well... I, I don't oh. want to, uh, I, 
Don't want to eliminate Deathloop. I do want to eliminate Resident Evil Village. Um, not what? Again, because overall, I was not super impressed with Resident Evil Village. The thing that most impressed me about Resident Evil Village was the buildup of Lady Dimitrescu. Um, and they, I'm not going to lie, I was kind of let down with how that story went. Um, <clears throat> so, and like the gameplay of Resident Evil, I've never been super impressed with anyways. Um, I disagree with what Peaches has to say about Resident Evil Village, but I do agree that I don't think it can compete with some of the other games on this list. Uh, so right now, honestly, but for me, it's between Metroid Dread, Psychonauts 2 and Ratchet and Clank. For me, it's between Deathloop and Ratchet and Clank. OK, wow, you've already narrowed it down pretty hard. Zach, I remember you talking about how you wanted to fight for Metroid Dread in this category. Do you still feel that way? Oh, yeah. I don't think there's any way you can't at least consider Metroid Dread. It hasn't been a Metroid series has been dormant for like ever. And then they come out of here with this 2D action adventure platform where everyone's like, should they charge $60 for this game? And then I have like the worst backlog of all time. Pick this up and I literally cannot put it down. It was fun, engaging. It wasn't handholdy, but it made sense to where to go. They strike seamless balance in its development. They push the story along to where at the end of the game, I was like, I want a sequel to this. Um, I want to know what happens next. Um, and then there's still people trying to find out all the little kinks to it because, you know, there's always those speedrunners who want to find the sequence skips and all the special techniques they can do. Um, where people are considering this as topping Super Metroid, which came out in 1995 and it's just one of those games you always hear about one of the greats of all time. I think Metroid Dread should definitely be in consideration. And it is my pick for game of the year because I played Psychonauts 2. I put it down. I played Ratchet and Clank Rifts Apart. I beat it. Um, I have Resident Evil's Village. and I played It Takes Two. The only one I haven't touched is Deathloop. And I cannot tell you, like, I mean, I know my Nintendo bias may be showing in some of your guys' eyes, but it's not that. Like, Metroid Dread is special. You play this game, like, you'll just kind of get it. Like, it's such a special... Oh, I just fucking love the game so much. I really like Metroid Dread as well. But Game of the Year is about the game that offers the best experience across everything that you love about video games. Metroid Dread did not have nearly as compelling of a story as I thought it was going to have. It's not non-existent, but you know me. There is nothing that is more important in a video game than a compelling story. Did you beat and the game? I did. And that's why really? I cannot... It's not that... Again, it's not that it's bad. It's just that, like, compared to Ratchet & Clank or Psychonauts, or hell, I would have even rather given this to Resident Evil Village before I gave it to Metroid Dread. Metroid Dread, the story and the narrative is not where it, like, shines. The Metroid Dread's gameplay is what's amazing about Metroid Dread. But I don't think it's game of the year. But that's just my opinion. So I'm kind of confused. Where are you... Where's your, <laughs> where's your head at for game of the year, then? Cyberpunk 2077, baby. Let's, let's go. go. Cyberpunk 2077 it is. No, no. If I'm being honest, it's probably Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. Uh, that's 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 where I'm I leaning had, as well. I had such a stellar time playing that fucking game. It killed it in every category. I would have liked it if the game was a little bit longer. Um, but that's just for my it's that's not to say that the story needed it though like the story i thought the way they did it was perfect um i thought the character development they had for kit was amazing between uh kit and rivet i the gameplay was obviously super fun 
The worlds were incredibly well designed. The way that you could switch between Ratchet and Clank and then Rivet and Kit was very seamless. I thought that was going to be clunky because it almost always is when they try and do something like that. But they executed it very, very well. It's Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. I mean, they're the same person, so not too hard to just Well, technically in multiverse theory, they're not the same person. I mean, technically, eh? technically, sure. technically, when it comes to game design, no. Look, my my chair noises are going to start pissing Czar off. So, so what are you picking, Chez? Are you also going with Rift Apart? Um, I I feel like I have to go with Cyberpunk 2077. I think um, it's not on the list. He just takes an Expo marker <laughs> and like I, on his yeah, say, Can you guys see what I'm writing here? Um, no, it's it's Ratchet and Clank. Um, I think. It takes a big leap forward for like the Ratchet and Clank series in terms of like what Ratchet, what Ratchet and Clank was doing before to what this game is. It takes a huge leap forward in all aspects. And it's, you know, it was an opener for the PlayStation 5, which is, you know, a huge thing. And, you know, it did something new and interesting with a game that the formula has kind of felt set for a while. While, while short, it like I don't think there was a slow aspect of the game. I agree. And I sit stubbornly with Metroid Dread being game of the year. And you are entitled to that opinion. Thank you. All right. We've done a lot today, boys. We've gone over a ton of articles. We voted on the important parts of the Game Awards. All that's left to do is talk about what's coming out within the next week. And then get the heck out of here. Who wants to take the game releases? I got them. Upcoming game releases. November 29th, Oddworld Soulstorm is coming to Xbox Series Systems and Xbox One. On November 30th, Beyond a Steel Sky is coming to PlayStation 5, Xbox Series systems, including Xbox One, PlayStation 4, and Nintendo Switch. And following that, on the same day, is Evil Geniuses 2 World Domination coming to PS5, Xbox Series systems, PlayStation 4, and Xbox 360? Is that a typo? Uh, that's just what was listed, man. I, I just write what I see. Xbox 360? Congratulations, Xbox 360. We thought you were dead. I, I'm going to guess the, the, the intention. The I'm going to guess the intention is probably Xbox One, but <laughs> nope. You heard it here first. Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty is back, making baby. a comeback. It's coming back. <laughs> Thank you, God. Uh, now I can't help but notice that Peaches pulled a Peaches, and the hype up one coming game actually is not on the list. They shadow dropped Halo Infinite multiplayer. What do you want? Yeah, it doesn't come out for you to tell me more about it. All right. Halo Infinite multiplayer, it, it is take it's taken back to it feels like old school Halo. It feels like Halo Reach. It feels like Halo Three, uh, but it doesn't feel old. It feels like it feels like they took the the essential essence of those games and they brought it into the new age. And it feels like I am finally having fun playing Halo again. I don't feel like I'm playing Halo that's trying to be Call of Duty. I feel like I have Halo that is Halo in its purest essence while still being a fully updated and like new game. They add all these new aspects to it. It's a lot of fun. It's free. I recommend it to everybody that can get it except for you PlayStation weebs. Um, you, can, you can't play it. <laughs> and Switch weebs. I also own a PC, you know. Yeah, I, yeah but that was just targeted at the PlayStation exclusive weebs. Ah, Idiots. Weebs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's funny is I've been hearing literally the exact same things about Halo multiplayer. I downloaded it, but I have not tried it yet. Tonight might be the night. Let's go right now. End the episode. 
All right, not much else to do, boys. Uh, it's been a long day. Anything else to add before we get out of here? Y'all sleeping on Metroid and Halo Infinite multiplayer is pretty fire. And Cyberpunk 2077 is being slept on as well. And Halo Infinite will not be considered for game of the year, but if its campaign is like half good, should have been. Well, the thing, it just it came out too late is the thing. Like, that's why Cyberpunk is on this year's as well, is because it came out around the same time frame. So they, it just missed the cutoff for game of the year consideration. I didn't know today was opposite day. Thank you all so much for listening to another episode of the Game Tea Podcast. We'll see you in the next episode before Zach and Peaches kill me. Um, you just got your game tea. We're going to kill <laughs> Please him. don't kill me. I just finished off paying my car. RPG off. RPG off. RPG off is real. <laughs> Later. <laughs> Who is the true RPG man of the Game Tea Podcast? Find out in the next episode. Of Game Tea Podcast. Podcast. <laughs> uh, bye. If you like what you heard today and you're looking for more ways to get your game tea fixed, check us out on Patreon. With bronze, silver, and gold tiers starting at $2 a month, there are several incredible rewards you can receive for supporting the show, such as a follow from us on Twitter, access to a monthly Q&A session, an invitation to our private Discord server, and even bonus episodes of the podcast only accessible to patrons. Your donations will be used to make the show even better. The link to Patreon is in the description with our social media, so go check it out. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Game Tea Podcast.